Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Entrepreneurial Talent Recruiter Podcast. This is the podcast where we interview successful talent recruiters and coaches to learn about their journey, the obstacles they've overcome, and how you can model their approach to build your talent recruitment business. My name is Andrew Alex, and I'm joined by our wonderful, loving, carefree host, Scott Solari. Andrew, ah, oh, gosh. <laughs> I, it makes me feel so good when you introduce me like that. I, I, I don't know what to does. say. That's why I, I, I make you feel good. I, I appreciate it very much, and I, and I hope you know how much I appreciate the work that you do, Andrew, day in and day out to make this podcast go. I, I feel very appreciated. And for our listeners out there, we have a little bit of a different interview this time, Andrew. It's um a little bit different take, and I want to explain that so... One of our past guests, Andrew, you remember Pasquale Scopoletti? I do. Amazing recruiting Made coach. The most and... fun name to say on the podcast so far. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so this, this interview is an interview done by his son, Nico, and this was done for their podcast, and I wanted to use it for ours because it's such a great interview, and I think me not putting it out there is – depriving our listeners of this great business building technique and understanding truly what ROI is and return on investment and how you should be looking at it in your business, whether it's looking at it as an investment in marketing, hiring. I mean, there's so many different things that you uh, can measure your return on investment. So this interview is fantastic. It's between the two of them, and I think our listeners are going to get a lot of value from it, Andrew. Well, it sounds like fun to switch it up a little bit, and um, I'm looking forward to it. Hello, everyone. This is Nico Scopoliti with the Basic Business Thinking Podcast brought to you by theconciliori.com. Today, we're going to be focusing on ROI. I have the conciliori himself here with me, my father, Pasquale Scopoliti. Hey there, Nico. So, Papa, when you help your clients work, on their most basic business methods and you teach them what you've called basic business thinking. What is the single most important element that business owners must learn to work with and master? You know, I was listening carefully in your introduction and I loved it and I'm excited about this series. Um, and it hit me that the three letters R O I actually are an acronym that stand for words that most everybody knows so that you can say ROI and pretty much everybody knows it means return on investment. When we turn to basic business thinking though, we have to start listening to words in a different way. And when I say listening, I don't just mean like you listening to me or somebody hearing this podcast listening to what you and I are talking about here. Even when you think words in your own mind, your own inner thoughts, require listening. So right now, let's do a little exercise and listen to the words return on investment. Each of those words, even the one in the middle, on, could inform a spectacular meditation for a business person. What does it mean to get a return on an investment? Why on? Why not in? Why not from? I don't really care, and I'm not going to emphasize that right now, but it's worth thinking about. Sure. Now, where we really have to go, though, the single most important concept that you asked me about is the word investment and the word return. To invest, 
to give, to work, to take risk, to have an expectation that after you do something, something else will occur. You're going to do something. There's often a sacrifice involved. There's certainly work or giving involved in an investment. To invest, think about how uh, stock options vest. Well, we are investing. We're putting something in. It's always going to have work. Often it'll have money involved, of course. Um, and it's going to be vesting into something. Why? In order to get a return. Now, we could do our entire uh, session today on the word return itself. It has so many different uh, meanings and such depth to it. But let's bring it now back to the basics here. You make an investment. You can't be in business without making an investment. You can be an employee, there you invest your work, but you don't have the risk that goes along with an investment when you're an employee. So you cannot be in business without an investment. You make the investment in order to get a return, in order to get something back. But most business people really don't pause. They've got, as you were saying, this deal, that performance requirement, an issue with an employee, they have to hire somebody, they have customers here, they have product coming in, or they have information systems that are crashing or have to be managed in one way or another, software to purchase, on and on it goes. And it's from one task to the next task to the next. And when does this you know, mythical return ever come? Often. Actually, never. So what people end up with is being in business, but they're actually owned by the business. They don't own the business themselves. They have all the risk. They have all the pressure on them, but they're not getting the kind of return that is the very reason to be in business. Now, let's just turn with the single most important concept, a return from your investment with some of the basic structure. So everyone in business knows that the top line must go up. We have to have more revenues. If our revenues aren't growing, we're not going to survive. It's grow or die in really any business, but most especially in a small business. Everyone knows they have to make the top line go up. The thing is, so few of us ever actually watch how much of the top line is still there when we get down to the bottom line. Now, everyone in business knows they're supposed to do that. Everyone in business knows that the bottom line is all that actually matters in the end and that you can sell your way into bankruptcy. People know that somewhere in their minds, but they don't force themselves to pay attention at this most basic level. And so the action step from basic business thinking we want to emphasize right now on this single most important thing is to look to actually go and look and to make sure that you have the support. So if you need a bookkeeper, if you need an accountant, and if you need to fight with them over the reporting mechanism, you have to look. Uh, maybe you already have QuickBooks and maybe that's how you're handling all your numbers, but how good are you at it, especially building a ritual discipline of actually looking to see what your return was, what's left over on the bottom line. And let's say that one more way. Return on investment at its most basic is, of course, profit. That profit has got to be the 
chemical test you apply to all of your business activities. See, what profit actually is, is a remainder left over as a result of doing the right thing. So, you know, whatever your expenses are, those are investments. They've got to be less than the top line revenues so that there's something left over profit on the bottom line. Without that, we don't have return. And I'm going to emphasize once more, I know how simple all of this is, but I repeat and strongly emphasize, we lose sight. We don't come back to it. We don't build a ritual where we're getting away from the next decision for action or the next crisis or the next project or deal to close and look to see what our return on investment was from a given period and how is it rolling? Is it growing? Is it shrinking? You know, what is the actual state of our business by way of our return from our investment as business owners? Why? What's what's the end game for even looking at this? We all know that we should. Most people don't. We get, again, stuck in just the, the day-to-day reactive work of our business uh, rather than looking at the ROI. Um, so we do that. Let's say we do. We go, we figure that out. We see, is it growing? Is it shrinking? You know, To what degree are we getting a return at all on our investment? Then what? It's a great question. The answer is principles. You will never get anywhere basic without principles. Most people don't know what a principle actually is or how simple the idea of a principle is. All it is is the relationship between cause and effect. As a business owner, your investments have to be causes. They have to cause something to happen. And that something has to generate a return a profit. So as you're looking at your return in what I call a ritual manner, so that it's timely, say monthly or however, you know, whatever your ritual structure is of actually looking at your return, then as it's growing, you've got to know what the causes of that growth are so that you can sustain and improve it. When it's shrinking, you've got to learn what is the cause of your reducing return. There's nothing automatic in the numbers or the accounting statements that's going to inform that. And that's why I'm saying basic business thinking is absolutely required in coming to terms with what your business itself actually is. So if you're in a sales business, obviously things like pipelines and marketing and the kinds of deals and customers you have, how you're positioning it, the value of your product, all of those things are going to be in there. And you need to know, you need to absolutely know what leads to the sale on the other side. There are all different kinds of businesses. I mean, all businesses have sales, but businesses may be uh, more connected to their innovative uh, development, or uh, they may be more in manufacturing or distribution or whatever the case may be. But in all cases, every return in its up and down will have causes. You need to learn what those are so that you can take charge of the effect. And that's another way to look at return on investment. A return on investment is the positive effect when the investment was done properly. What I'm, what I'm getting a sense of here as you, as you describe this is that uh, maybe the term ROI in its general uses is kind of, 
it's kind of limited. We think of ROIs as a return on an investment of cash, of, of money, or of resources. And while that is obviously the case, it, it's not limited to that. Within basic business thinking, you have to think about all the investments you make, not just, you know, am I going to get a return on this, this new equipment for my business, but it, am I going to get a return by investing you know, this half a day into this new project or this hour that I'm, that I'm planning to spend on the phone with this person, am, am I going to get a return out of that? Is that, are we, by expanding the definition of investment, do you think we're also getting closer to what you're describing? Yes. Um, and there's a big problem that instantly pops up that I could hear it in your question that you were just asking me. The simpler you go with your thinking, return on investment, you know, revenues, costs, what's left over profit. So simple, right? The simpler you go, the closer you get into what we'll have to call philosophical thinking. Mm. Uh, here's what I mean. Whoever said that time was worth less than money didn't understand time. Time is all we actually have. The time between now and when we die. Boom. We're an existentialism, a philosophy. Sure, sure. <laughs> we can go back to ancient Greece. We can, you know, uh, go through the European tradition, you know, uh, Schopenhauer and Nietzsche. Uh, boom. Time. What is the value of time? One of the beauties of business, most especially small business, is that when we make that hour investment with somebody on the phone, like you just said in your question, we can actually determine in a black and white manner, did we get a return? That we can do that is awesome. But most of us don't ever, again, step back away uh, you know, from our work, from our job pressures, from our crises and projects and tasks to take the time to think this through. What is your return on time investment? And that goes back to what you were saying at the beginning. In all the basic business thinking, we're going to be asking the question again and again and again, what is your business doing for you? as opposed to what do you have to do to continue to survive in your business or even worse, as a mere employee of your business instead of its actual owner. So let's turn to accounting. From my own work with our clients, I know that virtually none of them have accounting structures in place that would allow us to chart their performance effectively with our own tools. Um, I know that there are three most important reports that accountants can generate. The income statement, also known as profit and loss statement, uh, the cash flow statement, and the balance sheet. How do you recommend a small business owner come to terms with these three tools? It's a huge question. Uh, it's an intimidating question even to think about, let alone to deal with. And I'm going to tell you the biggest part of the problem. I call it accountant speak. And accountant speak is built upon something that I call accountant geography. They lay these reports out in manners that are meaningful to them, that are established by a time-honored tradition and the general rules and procedures of accounting. And so something over here has this meaning and something over there has that meaning. And it means that to them instantly. They're completely comfortable with it. And when you don't follow what this 
number over here means because it's here, as opposed to this number over there because it's there, you cannot keep up with them. And getting accountants to slow down and find out whether or not you even understand the meaning of the number is a seemingly impossible task. Now, there are some fabulous ones, brilliant and uh, brilliant business people, deep and wonderful people who can help solve this problem, but they're few and far between. I've only known a few of them, and they're amazing. They're kind of like magicians, and we'll come back to them. Uh, but this accountant speak and this accountant report geography. So what is where and why is it there and what does it mean? A business person has to, again, step back and say, hey, wait a minute. Whatever this stuff is, it's about my business. And until I understand it, and not just with my brain, maybe not emotionally, although that really is where we want to get. We want numbers to have emotional obvious intuitive meaning in business. Um, and you know, you should see the head spin when I say that to people. <laughs> a, a number can have an intuitive, emotional, obvious meaning. It's like shocking to people. But even if we're not going to go all that way, right, all that far, it's got to have actionable comprehensibility. You got to be able to understand the number and you've got to be able to understand what to do about it. And so, Another one of the big problems with these reports, and we're going to talk about each one, um, is that we try to cover so much information so fast, it's so completely obvious to the accountant or to the um, a bookkeeping individual who really can't follow why the other person doesn't understand it or know what to do about it. And so we're embarrassed to admit our ignorance. We're embarrassed to admit that we don't speak this language. It's a totally, it's literally, it's Greek to us. So we business people, small business people, we don't come pre-programmed, ready to understand what these numbers are or what to do about them. And the professionals who generate them are not pre-programmed to understand our confusion or to help us over them. Now, like you said, I'm not going to get into any of the weeds of any of this stuff. But I am going to give you a basic structure to understand each one of these reports that I really want you to emphasize in your memory. Uh, this is so powerful. And when you know each one of these things and come back to it with your professionals, your accountants or your bookkeepers or whomever, uh, even your attorneys, if you're talking about this, say uh, your tax preparers, you know, you're preparing a Schedule C for your tax return, whatever it is. Um, if you'll remember these three simple rules, one to go with each and come back to that you'll find that your basic business thinking kicks in and you can state strongly, I am confused. I don't yet understand how this helps me do, and these are the three rules. So for your income statement, which records your profits and your losses, there's a very simple rule, and it's one every business person knows. Buy low, sell high. When you're doing that in a timely manner, your revenues will be going up more than your costs are going up. So there will be profits being generated as opposed to losses. And that is absolutely what a income statement tracks. It tracks your revenues and it tracks your expenses in a timely manner. And so that differential is uh, exactly what we're looking to create. And we do that by buying low and selling high. So whatever your costs are, 
They have to be less than what your revenues are. And if you don't understand your PL or your income statement to the degree where you say, what am I buying? Uh, what am I getting back for it? Where are these revenues coming from? And how do I have these all these expenses that are necessary to get those? And am I buying low, spending less, and selling high, getting more? So every time you look at an income statement, Try to remember buy low, sell high, and see if the numbers don't start to inform your understanding of actual execution on that basis. So moving on to the next one, there's a cash flow projection. The simple rule, and, and it, you know, we'll qualify it in a moment, but the simple rule, and I want you to remember this is collect early, pay late. Now, I don't want you paying late like, you know, taking advantage of other people and screwing them when they need the cash and not honoring your word or, or you know, requiring terms from people that are going to hurt them. I, I don't mean win at all costs and pay late with no respect to the other person's need for their own income. Quite the contrary. But what I really do mean is that your income has to come in before it goes out. And the greater the time spread between the income coming in and when it goes out, so collect early, pay late, we want a differential there. Just like we want a differential between buying low and selling high, we want a spread there. Well, we want a spread between when the cash comes in and when it has to go out. If you're looking at your cash flow projection and don't understand how the accounts payable and the accounts receivable are being matched and what we're putting forward by way of our costs and our expectation of our revenues on our cash flow, if you don't understand how that comes down to collect early, pay late, you're not there yet. Slow everybody down. Uh, also, you might have to do some homework. You might have to like take your statement home with you or go to a coffee shop and look at it and like just be confused for a while until the numbers and like start to move numbers around with a pencil and a paper, maybe a calculator, whatever. Or if you're good with spreadsheets yourself, rebuild it as a spreadsheet so you can understand when you get there how to collect early and pay late. The balance sheet is my favorite. The rule that I have for it is every bit as simple as the other two. Keep more, expend less. You want to keep what stays in the business there. You don't want it to be expent to go out of the business. And a balance sheet shows you exactly what your treasury is at any given moment. Now, the balance sheet, perhaps above the other two, above all, is the one where the geography is confusing. They've got these assets and these liabilities and, you know, whatever, you know, it all has to literally balance, which is where it gets its name from. So uh, let's say that you have some sort of form of surplus. They're going to put it over in this thing they're going to call owner's equity. And, you know, whoever knows if that equity is real. And then, there, you know, what would happen if you were to sell your asset at fire sale as opposed to a brand, which, you know, it depends on how people feel about it as to whether or not it's even an asset. These things with their geography on the report can be very confusing to the person who has not become comfortable with the, with the statement. But if you look at the statement 
again and again over time. And I really don't recommend once a year. I recommend a minimum of once a quarter, and I would prefer once a month. Um, and we can talk about other things another time as far as uh, there's real time, there's weekly, but once a month or certainly once a quarter, at minimum, you should be looking at your balance sheet, hoping to keep more and expend less. And again, the basic business thinking here the most important thing is to begin to see this as your treasury. This is where the return is going to be identified. And you have to set goals for it. You have to set goals for what assets you want to have and what direction they're going. This kind of basic business thinking, I almost never see. I noticed that in the first half of our conversation, you spoke a lot about profit, but as we've turned here to discussing the accounting tools, I don't think you brought it up at all. Why is that? Well, that's another great question. Um, the accountant speak and the accountant report geography has a lot to do with that. What they understand when they look at this, and by the way, I have to reference a source here, a resource, a uh, fellow's work by the name of Keith Cunningham. Uh, he's a thought leader in this area, and the, what I'm about to give you comes from him. And I also have to mention my beloved client and great friend, David Schneider, who's actually the guy who taught it to me. Uh, I don't know that either of them used these exact words, but it's their point. Uh, originally, that's where I learned it. Profit is a story. When people are coming to terms with their reporting structure, uh, not being able to understand the buy low, sell high on the PL, not being able to understand the collect early, pay late in the cash flow projection, not being able to understand the keep more and expend less on the balance sheet or uh, the ability to envision assets growing over time and building a ritual of actually looking, thinking, setting goals, building actual plans about your asset growth. Not being able to do that, those things, no matter where they say the word profit, it means almost nothing to people. And then it's also very complex when it comes to taxes. So much of accounting is done by, by uh, the goal, the rightful and necessary goal of managing your tax obligation properly and legally. And, in, and this gives us an inverted relationship to our profits because profits are always vulnerable to taxation. So we're often building our business strategies due to taxation in order to minimize profit, which is like it just breaks a small businessman's brain, breaks my brain to have to look at my profit and say, now, how do I minimize that? It's the exact opposite of what real business thinking or basic business thinking should be. So we've got this strange structure and so much of accounting is built around that. So again, to, to, to try to give you the simple answer, when we're looking at those sheets, we wanna be functional, those reports, we wanna be functional. And often the term profit isn't gonna make any sense at all in that context. But this brings us right back to ROI, to return on investment. So once we're finished coming to terms with these reporting structures and the numbers, what that means is that we can tell a story from them. 
And that's what I meant when I said a few minutes back that there's some great accounting minds, brilliant, wonderful people who can look at, oh, a spreadsheet that seems to go infinitely into the depths and bowels of the computer and find the story of the business in it. They can tell you the strengths and the weaknesses. They can get to the personality of the owners. And I mean, it's they can see through the numbers like what people see at the beginning of the movie Matrix congealing into, you know, rooms and a woman with a beautiful red dress, etc. The numbers speak to these people and they can read them and translate them all the way to the point where you know not only what to do, but what to do in order to improve your return on investment. Now, as I said, I've only known a few of these people. I know there's a lot of them out there. Myself, I've only been fortunate up to actually a couple of different times. What I did was help them begin their own coaching practices as CTOs for, uh, um, CFOs for hire. I've done that two, maybe three times. And each one of those guys were just brilliant. They could read the story. So to bring this back again to a principle, profit is a story. When you're reading the statements, you're just getting to the basics. You're just getting to the alphabet or maybe the sentence structure or grammar, but you're not going to get the story out of that automatically. It's over time that you come to understand the principles that drive your own performance, that improve your return on investment, and where you know the story for yourself. So the, the financial statements, these, these accounting tools, um, it sounds to me like they are a means to an end. And the end comes back to what you were originally pointing to, that every single decision a business owner makes should have profit as its target. Uh, we're not talking revenue, we're not talking costs, or any of the other items that do show up and are important in these statements. Um, we're talking profit. But that leads me to perhaps a more philosophical, ethical question. Um, what about things like quality, reputation, again, ethics, morals, uh, the meaning of the work we do, the, the gifts, the, the, the value that we create for others? Is it possible that focusing too much on profit will make you selfish, maybe Maybe you'll lose business if you build a reputation for being a, a greedy person. I mean, you're not saying greed is good, Gordon Gecko Wall Street style, are you? Well, I have always loved the movie Wall Street. And I do appreciate the character, Gordon Gecko. And so... <laughs> I adore profit. And so the very idea of greed as the worst thing in the world is something that I, oh, I, I get a little rebellious over it. But in the end, no, I'm not. Um, you know, when I think about small businesses, one of my favorite ways to look at them is as a blank canvas so that I don't care what kind of business it is. I don't care, you know, who's involved behind it as customers or market or what the product or service is. It is a, an entity in the world like a blank canvas and the owner of the business is the painter. And so every owner has a certain artistic, creative, imaginative relationship to what they're creating, and they end up caring passionately about that. The business becomes, and, and we can change our metaphor, from a uh, canvas and a painting to a child. 
business owners that, well, yeah, sure, they often have a love-hate relationship, but, you know, some parents have that with their children, too. Uh, at any rate, business owners come to love their businesses. Uh, often, their relationship to their employees is built around love, although nobody ever talks about it that way. They absolutely do love their employees. They end up loving their best customers. They end up loving what they, and, you know, it is the best when they love what they do. There's a tremendous moral and ethical component here. Um, so this greed thing, uh, profit, it's going to make you, you know, lose your reputation because you're going to be a jerk out there in your negotiation and always, you know, be taking yours. There's something absolutely fundamental, absolutely basic that we've missed here. I call it the golden rule of profit. And by that, I am referring to the original golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I've built my own version. I say, profit others both before and also more than you profit yourself. Let me say that again. My golden rule of profit is that you must profit others both before and also more than you profit yourself. The ethical mandate here is something I believe is actually structural to the very integrity of capitalism itself as a system. And I believe it's right there. I believe that a study of Adam Smith, the economist who laid out the initial structure of capitalism for us, will reveal that there is this moral integrity within what we do. And here's the way I explain that. It's over what we compete for. What we as a business or service provider should be competing to do is create the most amount of profit for our customer that we possibly can. So that when you dedicate yourself to saying, look, you could spend this money here, you could spend this money there, there, there are all these different places you could invest. The place where you have the greatest likelihood of the highest return on that investment is with my service. So that we are supposed to be driven passionately, furiously to compete, to be the entity, the person, the product, the service that generates the largest amount of profit for our customer for their investment. We build the greatest return for them on an investment that they could possibly make. And competing over that is one of the most beautiful and ethical and morally sound things you could possibly do. Um, it's even, dare I say, noble. It is a noble calling and a noble way to live your life. It is a noble activity with which to invest your very spirit and force as a person. Greed. Uh, seems to me then, as compared to what you're describing as like a like a zero sum game, where what I was concerned about, you know, focusing too much on profit here is going to make you selfish, and you're you're out there concerning yourself about number one at the expense of others. Yes, what what you're presenting and what you are advocating here is by means of this golden rule you know if if i want to make a profit for myself then first i must concern myself and dedicate myself to the creation of profit for others so i'm going to do unto them what i would like them to do unto me absolutely and 
that turns it from a zero-sum game into one where we are both benefiting. We are, we are, we are building each other up in that mutually beneficial way. Um, that's a that's a that's a different way of putting. It. That's a different way of looking at it. I know that especially in in present times and in the political environment that we see, you know, the profits, success in business. There's there's a lot of um, negative connotations that are swirling around that. That you know, if if you're successful or you're making money, you, know, you did so at the expense of somebody else. Uh, if if we apply the golden rule to it, I think not only would we uh, would we better ourselves, but we'd also be able to help demonstrate as business people to the world that no, that's not our intent. We're not here to take advantage of anybody. We're here to build ourselves up, yes, but by means of building up others. And so I think that's um, it's a pretty critical ethical principle here in any discussion of, of return on investment or the 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 importance of ROI, that it's, you know, that's the single decision. You know, the, the, every single decision that a business owner makes should have profit as its target. Well, you, you have to put it into that context as well, the golden rule. You do. And I think we have to address the other side of that. Um, the marching cry of communism, the real thing, you know, going back to Marx, is that profit is theft. That's the absolute marching cry. So that the whole idea of profit is, profit is what I take from you that would be there for you if I hadn't taken it. Right, but it doesn't need to be that way. That's not, that's not inevitable. It's not... Well, I'm completely... Uh, I'm not a communist. Right. I'm a capitalist. Right. However... The fact that profit can be done that way. Sure. Um, let's say it another way. Um, the great, how shall I say, myth that they tried to purport to us through the middle of the past century, those of us, you know, that, that grew up in, in those ancient uh, days, we were always being told by our TV shows and by our popular heroes back then that crime doesn't pay. Well, it often really does. <laughs> Crime does pay. Corruption pays. And greed pays. You might lose your soul, but you can certainly line your pockets. Indeed. And uh, what may even be worse is that some people, some people wouldn't care either A, about losing their soul, or, or even farther than that, would find a type of, I'll call it evil spiritual delight in being that profitable thief, that profitable corrupt individual, so that the degree to which the world does run by corruption and theft, and the degree to which it is legally called profit, is so real we can't deny that. Well, I sincerely doubt any of those people are still listening. <laughs> um, I think we kind of lost them at the golden rule. Um, well, you know, that's a really interesting point you make, though. I have had many encounters where I tried to present the idea of the customer's profit and was absolutely shut down, as if the very idea of a customer getting profit from a transaction or a return on investment was nonsensical. 
And those people, and they're often not communists, and it doesn't really matter where they fall on the political spectrum, right or left. Uh, there are people on the right that feel it, it has nothing to do with, you know, this party or that party or even where you fall. The idea that profit is what I take from you and keep to myself, like... Uh, let's say the, the correct price is this, but I get you to pay that one. So therefore, in that zero-sum manner, you know, it was legal theft. The degree to which profit is thought of that way is so universal, it's got to be dealt with, it's got to be addressed. And uh, I'm, I'm telling you again, I've had so many people reject the very idea that a customer's profit can even exist. Yeah. So to bring it home... The, the idea here is that our customer's profit is actually the one thing that we must compete most passionately to create. Um, in closing, though, is there a simple way to, you know, to pull this all together? What's, what's the one thing that you'd like someone to take away from this podcast if they don't remember anything else? Give me a moment. Profit is a story. We talked about that before, maybe even quite a bit. I don't exactly remember now, but I know we talked about it. Profit is a story. I want to go beyond that. To me, it's a heroic story. It's an epic story. It's an epic tale of heroes competing with everything they are to create something that didn't exist before. And so uh, the story I'll pick to represent profit for myself from my heart is Prometheus, who is stealing fire from the gods so he can give it to mankind. So sure, there's a theft there, but stealing from the gods, you know, how do we not love that? <laughs> and the fact that he made sacrifice, epic mythical sacrifice in order to give a value to mankind. Now that's a story of profit. And whatever our business is, whatever our service may be, we should be searching for the fire of the gods to invest into the value that we provide to our customers so that they can have the greatest return on their investment of purchasing what we sell and then, with our own ritual coming to terms with all the structures of profit for ourselves, learn how to create the best possible ROI within the context of the golden rule of profit. To be able to tell that story, that's a noble way to live. And that's a good story that you can tell to your kids and to your grandkids with pride before you passed on. Profit is a story. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. And I can assure you that here at theconciliory.com, everything we do is driven by our passion to help you build your profit as you build profit for your own customers. And remember, business is a hunt and luck is overrated. So from us at theconciliory.com, good hunting. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Uh, Scott, I like the little switch up this week, keeping us on our toes. I want to put a big, big, big thank you out there to both Nico and Pasquale Scopoletti for, you know, basically letting us 
use their podcast for our podcast to make sure that all of our wonderful listeners here got a chance to listen to, you know, all that helpful information about ROI. Yeah, absolutely, Andrew. I think uh, it's, you know, thank you again, Nico and Pasquale, uh, for, for letting them, you know, letting us repurpose their their great interview. Because, I you know, I was listening to it in my car a couple of weeks ago, Andrew, and I was like, oh, man, this is amazing. I wish, wish I had done this interview, but Nico did such a great job, Andrew, with this interview. And I was like, God, and then this, this situation came up, and uh, I, I thought, hey, we should just repurpose this and use it. Uh, for the talent recruiter podcast that we run, so um, well, I mean, it's I love a topic that you know everyone can relate to, right? And that yeah, absolutely, getting a return like, how on do you, investment, right? And like, I, how many times have we been asked that question when we're on the phone <laughs> consulting with people about marketing costs? And you know, it's um, it's something that like you feel and that you that you live like your return on investment. I mean, there's so many different ways that you can look at it, and I, I love when they talk about um, when you hiring someone and like the leverage that hire gives you and what return on investment are you getting from that by giving, getting your time back. Mm -hmm. And there's so many different nuances to thinking about return on investment. I just love this interview and the way they went through it. And um, if you guys want to learn more from Pasquale or Nico, um, that's the uh, Andrew, you, you say it better than I'm the worst Italian in the world. (laughs) Consigliori.com. Is that, is that what it is? That is really good. You say it the way it is spelled. It's the consigliere, but it's, consigliere it's, it's, spelled, it's spelled it's spelled the way you say it. So it's oh. it's it's, uh, it's their website is the consigliere. So it's c o n s i g l i o r i dot com. Yeah. Oh, thank you for saving me there, no Andrew. Problem. And um, but yeah, they they have so much good information. If you love their perspective on their approach uh, with business and and recruiting and helping you um, go check them out. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I highly recommend everyone does because those guys are a wealth of information. And with that, I think it is uh, time to put a bow on this wonderful episode of the Entrepreneurial Talent Recruiter Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex. And I'm Scott Solari. And we'll see all of you next week.